I encourage you to open your copies of the Scriptures, please, to Mark chapter 6. So Mark chapter 6, that's in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, one of the four Gospels. So if you find the beginning of the New Testament, that's Matthew and then the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be in chapter 6 this morning. It's been a real privilege for us to follow Jesus as he lives life on purpose. He comes to earth intentionally, purposefully to go to the cross for us. And as he leads us to his cross, he invites us to join him in living life on purpose. And this morning, that means living life on mission. Anytime that I preach about sharing Christ with others or pointing others to him, I want to be very, very careful. I don't want this to be a message that's laden with guilt. Because all of us would have to say this morning, we could do more. We we could do better. We could share Christ more courageously. We We could share him more faithfully. And so my goal this morning is not to guilt people into fleshing out faithfully this life on mission. My goal this morning is that we would be so overwhelmed with and overcome by the grace of Jesus that we can't help but share that with others. So it's not guilt I'm after this morning. It's grace I'm after this morning. And I pray as we walk out of this place this morning, we will be convinced that the grace our God has given us in and through Jesus is enough to enable us to fulfill the task he has given to us. So let's pick up the text in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And Jesus called the twelve, and he began to send, that is his disciples, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, and to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of our God. Now those of you who are as old as I am, will know this tagline, and so feel free to complete it for me. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. That's the tagline from the 60s and 70s TV series that that Tom Cruise picked up on and turned into a six-part, soon-to-be seventh and eighth-part movie series, and that is a series entitled what? Mission Impossible. And when it comes to the mission Jesus has called us to fulfill, to take his good news out into our world, we look around at all the unbelief surrounding us and we begin to think to ourselves, you know, Tom Cruise has nothing on us. Getting the gospel into the hearts of people is mission impossible. And you're right. You're right. It is impossible for us. We cannot change anyone's heart. We can't even change our own heart. 
And that's why Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to give us a new heart and a new life and a new ability in him. And to do that, Jesus has to die. He has to be buried. He has to rise again in victory and power and triumph over sin and over death and over the devil. You see, Jesus can do what we can't do. There is no mission impossible for him. And that's why there is something much bigger going on here in these seven verses than we may initially see. Because what we have here is a collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And that's why we as Jesus followers today cannot live with a peacetime mentality. Because we live in a world that's at war with the God of the Bible. Now I want to be clear here. It's a war that Jesus has already won. Go to Colossians chapter 2, and there we read that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has triumphed over the enemy. It's a war that Jesus has already won. It's, It's a war that we will see universally come to a conclusion. When Jesus comes back, as we have just sung in It Is Well this morning, when Jesus comes back and we will live with him and we will reign with him forever, he will rule over all in peace. But until then, we find ourselves in this world on the front lines of this cosmic collision. This war between belief and unbelief. And that's why the big idea of this text this morning is that the kingdom of God advances in the context of unbelief. Jesus sending his disciples on mission is sandwiched between two very significant events. I want you to notice this in your Bibles. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus is outright rejected by his hometown of Nazareth. They dig in their heels against Jesus. They persist in their stubborn unbelief. And then down in verses 14 through 29, we learn that John the Baptist has been beheaded for calling out King Herod on his sin of adultery. And Mark wants us to get that Herod's action isn't just some political power play It's actually a part of this cosmic collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And right in between Jesus being rejected and John being beheaded, Jesus makes a hard pivot, a significant strategy shift. You see, the disciples now are no longer just going to be spectators in the advancement of the kingdom. Now they're going to be players They're going to be on the front lines. This is a monumental moment in redemptive history. And although Jesus' calling upon these 12 men and their lives is unique and specific to them, This is the beginning of God's call to all his people to be on mission. If you're a Christian, you haven't just been welcomed into his family and into his kingdom. You've been drafted into his service. And that's what's happening right here when Jesus sends out his 12 recruits. They're going to learn that God's kingdom marches on through adversity. They have to know that unbelief can't overthrow the gospel or overpower the gospel or stop the spread of the gospel because unbelief is no match for the power of the gospel. 
It's Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And the fact that we gather in this room this morning as God's people is proof of the gospel's power. Just look around. I give you permission right now to look behind you and around you, beside you. Look around. We're 2,000 years and half a world away from Mark chapter 6 and still God's kingdom marches on in the context of unbelief and through adversity because everyone in this room who is now a believer in Jesus at one time wasn't. But then the power of God's amazing grace moved in and overpowered our unbelief, enabling us to repent and believe on Jesus. And so in a very real sense this morning, God's work in our hearts can be traced back to this moment in Mark 6 where Jesus sends out these 12 very ordinary guys. Guys who are fishermen, guys who are blue-collar workers, and one of them has worked for Rome as a tax collector. His name is Matthew, while another is a right-wing Jewish nationalist named Simon the Zealot. Wow, these are the guys? These are the guys who will take the most important message ever given to our world? These are the guys who in the book of Acts is said about them that they have turned the world upside down because they've been with Jesus. These are the guys in the world's eyes, maybe even in our eyes, this is not a particularly impressive group But Jesus has spent time with them. He's poured his life into these 12 men over the past year or so. They've had this front row seat, this perpetual front row seat to Jesus overthrowing demons and healing the sick and raising the dead. They've heard him preach. And they've seen how people have responded. Some have believed. Many have rejected. And others want to kill Jesus. And these guys have been privy to all of that. This has been, over the last year or so, their basic training. And now Jesus is going to unleash them. He is going to commission them. This is his squad. There are no backups, no second string, no plan B. It's that way with us too. God has intentionally and strategically placed us where He wants us on mission. We are the ones He has called to be a light in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in this church. Pointing people to Jesus. And you may say, but you know, Pastor Ken, I'm nothing special. I'm just an ordinary guy or girl with no extraordinary talent. And I say to you, you're in good company this morning with these men in Mark chapter 6.
Jesus chooses 12 ordinary guys and he calls them now to himself to show us that he specializes in doing really extraordinary things through very ordinary people. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And I say to you as I say to myself, consider your calling. You know why you were called? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the eyes of this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the eyes of this world to shame the the strong. And so the inadequacy you feel and the inability you sense is actually proof that you're both qualified and equipped for the task. Because listen, it isn't about who you are and what you can do. As we see here, it's about who Christ is and what he can do through us. And that's why he gives this platoon of men four rules of engagement. The objective to spread the good news about Jesus there in the upper region of Israel. We call that Galilee. And to invite people to repent and to believe on Jesus. It's a simple objective, but it is not an easy task. These men will encounter both hospitality and hostility. They'll be welcomed by friends and confronted by enemies while being ignored by strangers. And that's why this is a tough task. And that's why Jesus begins the four rules of engagement with this. Get paired up, guys. Get paired up. Jesus is saying, don't do this alone. There are no lone rangers on mission. Jesus here is actually, actually you may want to write a little note in your, in your Bible here. Jesus is actually instituting the buddy system. You wonder where it came from? Here it is, right here, Mark chapter 6, the buddy system instituted by Jesus. And why is he doing that? Well, remember that back in the Old Testament, that the law required two, at least two witnesses to verify something as true? But I think there's also something else here. It's what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Listen, when we try to go it alone, we are vulnerable. There really is In this mission, Jesus has called us to. There really is safety in numbers on this journey to glory. There is safety in numbers. Jesus is sending these men on potentially a very dangerous mission that could turn to be a deadly mission. Haters are going to hate. The enemy is going to attack. And so isolation isn't just dangerous. Sometimes it's deadly. And right now, scenes from National Geographic should be popping into our minds. We've all seen it, right? Where a pride of lions takes off chasing a herd of antelope. 
until they can separate one or two from the herd? Let me ask you, what happens? We know the rest of the story, right? We know how that ends. Isolation makes us targets. We need one another on this journey. We need somebody to have our back when we're in danger. We need someone to cheer us on when we, when we feel like quitting and to pick us up when we begin falling. And so I say to you, Bethel, we need one another on this mission. No one in this room can go it alone. And so I say, let's be on mission together, not just because we're vulnerable, but because we need others to hold us accountable, to keep us true, to keep us going when we feel like quitting, to get us back on track when we begin wandering. Now, I get that the word accountability Um, has a bad vibe to it. I mean, how many of you have heard the recent news that with what Congress has just passed, the IRS is going to double in size? Everybody heard that? Okay. Um, That news has a lot of people worked up. You know why? Because there's something deep within us that bristles at the idea of accountability. But loving Christian accountability isn't a threat to be feared. It's a grace to be embraced. One of God's great gifts to us is each other. We need friends in this room who are close enough to us and love us enough to ask the hard questions about our relationship with Jesus. About how we're treating our spouse about what we're doing on our phone, about how we're spending our time, who we're praying for and who we're sharing Christ with. You know, and that's not something you just need from one another. That's something I need from you. It's why I always ask you to open your Bibles to the text where I am preaching. I face the same temptation every week that these disciples would have faced on mission. The temptation to make the exclusive message of Jesus more inclusive. To make that that message that's sometimes politically incorrect more politically correct. To make the gospel more widely acceptable and palatable. And God forbid that ever happen. But if it ever were to happen, I would hope that there would be hundreds of people in this room who would meet me at the back door after the service and get up in my grill. I'm not above accountability. I need it. So do you, just like these 12 men, when Jesus commands them to first get paired up because, secondly, they are powered up. They're powered up. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to know, even though I'm sending you out two by two, you need to know that this mission is beyond you. It's too much for you. 
And so I'm vesting you with my power. This is not, listen, what the disciples are going to do on mission is not an inherent ability. It's an inherited ability. They're ambassadors for Christ. They're backed with, invested with His power. The power to cast out demons. The power to heal the sick. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you that power so that you can wow people with your power. I'm giving you that power to authenticate the message you are preaching. With my power. So that people will know the message is real. Because it is accompanied by the things I have done. I will enable you to be what I've called you to be. I will empower you to do what I've called you to do. And the same is true for us. Not in a power over demons and disease kind of way, but, a, but in a strength to do what's beyond us kind of way. Every Sunday I stand behind this pulpit, I am proof of that. When I was a kid, I really struggled with being in front of people. Man, I would begin sweating profusely. My mouth would get all dry and cottony. And my hands would get all clammy. And I would get worked up. Terribly, terribly worked up. It it was so hard for me to speak in front of people. And so, listen, every week I stand before you is living proof that the God who calls you to be what He wants you to be will enable you to do what He wants you to do. And even still today, if some of you, if I shake hands with you before the service, you'll feel that my hands are still a little bit clammy. It's just... A reminder to me that the God who has called me is with me right here every week as I open his word to you. He will not abandon us on mission. It's not mission impossible because he is always with us, enabling and empowering us to fulfill the task he has assigned to us. Do you believe that? Can you fly that banner over everything in your life right now? Even the hard stuff. Even the stuff He has called you to that you would never choose. That you don't even want. But it's a part of the mission He has called you to because through that difficulty and through that hardship and through that trial, you have an opportunity to make much of Him and to point people to Him. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. I want you to hear and see this morning from this text that God's calling for you never lacks God's power in you. He's with you in this He's enough for you in this. He's got you in this. It's a part of the mission He's called you to. And He will enable you to use this for His glory. The same is true for you young moms and dads who are struggling. You've got multiple kids who require so much from you and you're tired all the time. Or maybe it's a situation at work and just this past week 
You thought to yourself, you know, I've had enough, I'm out. Could I suggest this morning that maybe God placed you in that situation to show you that he's giving you the power to push through it? To make much of him in it? Because whatever your situation, it's part of your God-given mission to point people to him. And that's why when the Apostle Paul finds himself in one of those beyond-me situations, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4 verse 13. So in this mission of pointing people to Jesus, where God has placed us, and in the situation he has given us, there is a great power working in us. And thirdly, there is a real freedom for us if we will travel light. Because Jesus says to his disciples, when you go on this mission, bring Only the absolute necessities. Only a staff, a pair of sandals, and a tunic. That's it. You know, don't bring T-bone steaks with you. Don't bring an overnight bag and leave your wallet behind. Because all that stuff is going to do is to weigh you down and slow you up. There's freedom to find in the things we leave behind. Now, I I know this, this rule of engagement doesn't sound very appealing to you women to travel so lightly. But for us guys, I think we'd take this on as a challenge. In fact, lately, this has been my MO on vacation. Because the last four or five trips we've taken away from home, I've left something behind at home. Um, let me give you a list of things I've left on my four, past four or five trips. One, one time I forgot my toothbrush. One time I forgot my socks. One time I forgot my shoes. And just two weeks ago on our trip to Louisville, I forgot to pack my unmentionables. So I, I, I typed underwear into the thesaurus on my computer this week. How can, I, how can I get through this telling the story accurately without saying the word underwear? Well, obviously, I just blew that. But um, up popped unmentionables. I thought, great, we can just plug that in here. Um, and so we're halfway to Louisville, and I turn to Joanne, and I'm like, baby, um, I am confident I packed everything I needed for this vacation. (laughs) And um, we get there, and I start unpacking, and the unmentionables are back in my dresser at home. And I just want you to know, just in case you're wondering, we remedied the situation. But Joanna asked me then, I remember asking me this just a couple weeks ago, what's up with you in packing lately? And I said, you know, it's not that I'm getting old and forgetful. It's that I'm getting old and biblical. Because Jesus says to travel light. Okay, so, so I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but this is where we have to learn to differentiate between the descriptive parts of the Bible and the prescriptive parts of the Bible. 
This is a descriptive part of the Bible. It's describing the, the commissioning of these specific men at this specific time on this specific mission. Because later, when Jesus sends these guys out a second time in Luke 22, he says, guys, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm sending you out with your money bag and with your knapsack and with a sword. So if you don't have a sword, go sell something and buy a sword. Jesus changes the rules of engagement. And so this is not a prescriptive text where where God is calling us to take a vow of poverty. This is a descriptive text describing what happens on this particular mission at this particular time with these particular men. But there is, I think, a principle or two here for us. How much stuff do we have compared to how much stuff we really need to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us? The stuff that we accumulate in this life may indeed weigh us down and slow us up. So I'm just going to leave that there. How much do we really need And then I think the second principle is this. Trust God to provide everything we do need on this mission. It's Philippians 4 verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now let's just admit this morning, sometimes that's hard to believe. That God will give us everything we need. We feel so under-equipped. So ill-qualified, it's hard to believe that what He has given us is enough for us. You know why we feel that way? Here's why. Because often God has to bring us to the end of ourselves before we even begin seeing that He is providing everything we need on the journey. And so I say to you, travel light. And then fourthly, be courageous. Be courageous. Making the name of Jesus great in our world takes guts. Just like it does for these 12 men. Because Jesus concludes his rules of engagement by saying, listen guys, don't pick and choose when it comes to accommodations and food. Jesus is saying to these men what my mom used to say to us boys when we would whine about what she was making for supper. She would say this, take what you get and learn to like it. Jesus is telling these guys not to confuse this mission with a vacation. And so he says this, be courageous enough to stay even when it's hard. He's saying, so when you arrive in town and someone offers you a tiny spare room with an inflatable mattress and follows that up with the offer of Brussels sprouts for supper, take it. Stay there. 
accept their invitation. Even if someone else offers you their master suite with a king bed and a porterhouse steak for supper. Even if you find yourself in a hard place, stay there. And I was going to insert a comment here about living in the state of Illinois. Even when the grass looks greener somewhere else, stay put. Even when your hosts aren't believing the gospel you're preaching, guys, stay if they're willing to have you. There is something here for us. Because sometimes it's hard not to quit on people who persist in their unbelief. We've shared Jesus with them and nothing seems to be happening. But as long as they're willing to hear, we've got to have the guts to stay with them. To keep on showing Jesus to them. And when we are given the opportunity to keep on sharing Jesus with them, we've got to stay even when it seems like the message we are sharing is having no impact at all. Don't quit on those people. But we've also got to be courageous enough to leave, even when it hurts. And I think this is probably harder, because this is where some of us are right now, with our spouse, or with our children, or with a loved one, or a close friend. We've pointed them to Jesus, and they haven't just said no to Jesus. They've asked us to actually stop talking about it. That hurts. And Jesus knows that, and so he says, guys, when people won't listen to you, when they ask you to leave, be courageous enough to leave even when it hurts. Don't force the message on anyone. But when you go, you give them a sign that their rejection of me is an eternally serious thing. You shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, that might seem a bit weird to us, um, but it wouldn't have been for a Jew in Jesus' day. Because when a Jew returned from a foreign trip, and as they came to the border of Israel, they would stand there at the border and they would shake the dust off their sandals so that the pollution they picked up in the Gentile world, those outside the family of God, that pollution wouldn't be brought back into the family. And so Jesus' directive here is a statement about the seriousness of this mission. When you hear this good news of Jesus, when you hear his call to repentance, that's his invitation to believe on him. And it's an eternally and infinitely serious thing. And so this morning is a very serious moment for each and every one of us because God has sovereignly orchestrated our being in this room today to hear the message of Jesus today. And the very fact that we are here The very fact that His grace has brought us here now holds us accountable for what we will do with Him. And so I ask, what will you do with Jesus? Will you receive Him or reject Him? Will you turn to Him or from Him? There is only one way for you to 
leave the kingdom of this world and come into the kingdom of God. And it's as if each one of us this morning is standing at the border of God's kingdom family. Are you in or are you out? There's only one way to come in, and that's through Jesus. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, that we are all the children of God by faith in Jesus. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone. That's the only way we leave the kingdom of the world and enter into the kingdom of God. It's only because of Jesus as He hung suspended between heaven and earth on His cross, paying the penalty for our sins. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Why? So that He could bring us to God and make us members of his family and make us citizens of his kingdom. It's only through Jesus as he pays the price for our sins. As he faces there the penalty for them and pays the price in full as if he himself as our substitute had committed every one of our sins. Can you imagine how the soul, the holy soul of the sinless holy son of God must have recoiled in that moment as my sin, every one of my sins was laid upon Jesus and he pays it all. So that Romans 10 verse 9 says, if I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved only and always because of Jesus and made a member of our God's family. Would you come? The door to the kingdom of God has swung open for you in Jesus. And Jesus is calling. Would you come and believe and be saved? Christian, I want it, as you leave this morning, leave with this takeaway. One final application. I want to encourage you to stay on mission. Stay on the mission of pointing people to Jesus. Because things are happening. Even when you don't know that, or feel that, or see that. God is working in hearts. And just maybe there's proof of that right here in Mark chapter 6, because when we look down at verses 12 and 13, we see that these men did go out and they proclaimed repentance, and then they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. The mission is a success. You say, but how many people came? How many people believed? How far did the kingdom advance on this mission? We don't know for sure, but perhaps we're given a peek. Maybe, just maybe we're given a peek. Because when you look down at verses 33 and 34 of Mark chapter 6, when the disciples returned to Jesus to give, them, to give him their mission report, I want you to notice what happens next. 5,000 men show up to hear Jesus teach. 
Were those the men who heard about Jesus through the disciples? We don't know, but perhaps that is true. But you know, as I look out at you this morning, I see greater proof that these men on mission were a success. It's us. We're here today because these men told the story of Jesus and somehow, someway, in God's perfect and sovereign plan, the message traveled over oceans and continents through two millennia all the way to us. The mission is a success. And so as we engage in this cosmic collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, there is a promise that propels us onward in the mission of pointing others to Jesus. It's Jesus' own words in Matthew 16 verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's why Martin Luther writes in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Father, may you take your truth. And convince us of it. Empower us through it. Glorify yourself in it. For Jesus is worthy of our faith. Jesus is worthy of our pointing people to him. May we be faithful. In his name I pray. Amen.